so this morning we're continuing uh, our series on prayer. We've been teaching through the core values of City Church, our non-negotiables. And one of the non-negotiables that we said is critically important uh, to City Church is prayer. In fact, we kicked off this series about three weeks ago, and we said here at City Church, we value prayer. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. Uh, So we have prioritized prayer. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and we're following in that tradition, learning how to pray prayers that produce results. Amen? We said prayer should be our highest priority, our first option, not our last resort. We taught about the persistence of prayer, that it is in the character of God that we persist in prayer. And in persisting in prayer, the lesson we learn is that our persistence is not about overcoming God's reluctance. It is about outlasting the enemy's resistance. That when we prevail in prayer, we're not trying to convince God to do something he's unwilling to do because God is willing to give us the kingdom. Psalm 84 and verse 11 says that it is his, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 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 no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So we've learned this lesson of persistence in prayer because persistence always outlasts resistance. Amen. Last week we talked about petition. That it's okay to ask God. Jesus taught, excuse me, baptize you in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Jesus taught his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. He taught his disciples that it was okay to petition God and to ask God to meet our needs. Uh, I'm going to go a little different direction this morning uh, because I think there's something important uh, that we all need to revisit and and adapt as families. And I've chosen uh, for this sermon a simple title, Uh, altered, A-L-T-A-R-E-D. Because I believe that there's something that we need to return to as Christ followers, not just as Christ followers individually, but as family units. It is simply this, that we need to restore the altar to our homes. The altar of prayer The altar of consecration, which means to be set apart and fully devoted to something or someone. We need to set apart this idea of surrender back to God. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about what it looks like to live an altered life. A life that lives and abides on the altar of God. You noticed in the sermon bumper we showed, which is a clip from the great movie War Room, uh, that that Miss Clara... Uh, uh, took Priscilla Shire's character up to her prayer closet. And in that prayer closet, you'll see in other scenes in the movie, was a little bench. And, and that was her place of solitude and the place she would go to to alter her life, not just when she was desperate, but because she had cultivated a lifestyle of prayer. And she lived a life that was altered unto God, surrendered unto God daily. And if we're going to win this year, if we're going to have a life that is radically different and radically better, if our children are going to win this year, if our children are going to succeed and be all that God has called us to do, it is incumbent upon us as their parents first to assume the position of great humility and surrender on the altar of God. Not only when it's comfortable and convenient, 
Y'all hear me now? But because we know this is the source of all of our help, the altar of God. The psalmist prayed, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. All of my help comes from the Lord. And it is on the altar that we are reminded that we are absolutely nothing, destitute without the grace and the blessing and the hand of God upon our lives. And so this morning, I'm going to share a few thoughts with you about what it looks like to live a life that is altered. A live, to live a life that is surrendered to the will of God. Because that is where we win. Tyler Perry said it this way. He said, sometimes the quickest way to victory is surrender. Jacob learned that lesson well. Because the scripture declares in Genesis that Jacob wrestled with God until the breaking of day. I would venture to say that some of us find ourselves in that exact same place where we are wrestling and contending with the will of God for our lives. We're fighting for it to be our way. We're fighting for it to happen on our terms. We're fighting for God to bless our agenda and endorse our plans. And there is this contention and this, this wrestling just as Jacob wrestled with God all night long. And the scripture says that God smote Jacob in his hip bone so that he would surrender. And sometimes God will put us in places where we eventually tap out. That's what Conor McGregor did last night. <laughs> By that fifth round, yo, he had nothing left, did he? And sometimes God will bring us to that place when we insist on getting off the altar. That he'll put us in situations and circumstances where we have no other option but to surrender to the power of the altar. In Bible times, the altar was a place of worship. It was a place of thanksgiving. It was also a place of remembrance where they would erect altars to celebrate a great victory so that they could always come back to that place and remember that God had touched them, that God had done, done something special for them in that place. It would be equivalent to tying that little ribbon around your finger so you don't forget. But it was so much more. That's what the altar represented. And I believe that God is calling us once again to the altered life. A place of surrender and submission, a place of great humility, a place of remembrance, but also a place of thanksgiving. Where we stop long enough to say all that I have and all I could ever hope to be comes from the hand of God that I am nothing apart from him, that God, I am nothing apart from you. And anything I could ever hope or wish to accomplish is going to come only by your hand. It comes from a life on the altar. So I'm not sure if I sent you guys this in the notes, uh, Kelly, but I need Romans 12, 1 and 2. I sent that to you, but I also need it in the message paraphrase, uh, and then we'll dive into our message. The altered life. Uh, Romans chapter 1 and 2. 
Romans chapter 1 and 2 is uh, one of our anchor texts for our message this morning. And I trust that the Lord will, will bless his word and uh, it will bless your heart this morning. Romans chapter 12. I'll be reading from the King, New King James uh, Version. What did I say? I'm sorry, 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And you guys can cue it in the message paraphrase. I will read it from the New King James. If you're following along in your notes, we do have them available on version. Just search City Church and you will, find, you will find the notes there. Amen. Whew. I feel a preach coming on this morning. Glory to God. Paul writes to the believers at the church in Rome And he says, I beseech you, I implore you, I beg you, I exhort you. Stop for a second and pay heed to what I'm about to say. Because there's great urgency, there's great urgency in the language in the original Greek. He's saying, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Notice the oxymoron. A sacrifice that lives. What he's encouraging us to do is to be dead men walking. Notice under the old covenant, something had to die in order for something to live. That the sacrifices that were placed on the altar were dead. Yet he says for us today, he wants us to live a life of such surrender and sacrifice that even while we are alive, we are only alive to what God wants, not what we want. And he says, I want you to do it in light of the mercies of God. I want you to do it in light of what God has done for you and for me. That this surrender and this exchange is not unreasonable, what God is asking of us. Because God initiated it. Because he gave his very best gift and held nothing back. What he's saying in this verse is whenever you and I are tempted to withhold our best from God, consider the fact that he did not withhold his very best from us. And he says it is a reasonable sacrifice. It is a good deal. He's asking us to do something on discount. You know what that means? When we consider what God gave, there is absolutely nothing that he asks us to do that could even be equivalent to all he gave up for us. What he's saying in this verse is what God is asking you to do. Guess what? We are getting the better deal. And when we consider what Jesus did for us, what God asks of us is reasonable by comparison. By the mercies of God, present yourself. That means of our own volition and of our own will that we come to the altar Not because God twisted our arm to do it. Not because circumstances forced me to come there. But because it's the place where I encounter God and I experience his love. And I feel his touch. Uh, notice, Notice he goes on and he says, this is a reasonable, is your reasonable service. What God is asking of us to come back to the altar is reasonable. It's not unreasonable. He's not asking too much. It is rational. Verse 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world. We live in a world where we're more concerned about fitting in than we are standing out. And even in the church, 
we have begun to take our cues from what is trending around us. Yet Paul admonished the believers in Rome, do not be conformed to this world. He's created us to stand out, not to fit in. Notice what, it, what else he says. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The, the altar is a place where my changing, my, my, my thinking is submitted and yielded to God's thoughts because his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. The altar is a place where I realize that my thoughts are finite and God's thoughts are infinite. It's a place where I recognize that God knows best. It's a place where I change my thinking. It's a place where I change my thinking. And that the world and culture doesn't inform what is acceptable or unacceptable in my life. It is the word of God that has the final say. That's what it looks like to live an altered life. And how many of you realize you can't get God's results doing things your way? And we wonder why there's so much tension and dis-ease and stress. Because like Jacob, we're wrestling with God. Remember what Jacob said, I won't let go until you bless me. And that's the contention that we have with God. We wrestle with God until he blesses us. But how how many of you realize that the only plan that God's going to bless is the one that he endorsed? And we wrestle with God. I ain't going to let go of your God until you bless me. How about you do it my way? Which is already blessed. Which is already blessed. So he says, don't be conformed to this world. This is, this is the game changer. This is the game changer. And he says, when we renew our mind and change our way of thinking, we will be able to discern or we will be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? Change your way of thinking so that it, it lines up with the word of God. That's what the altered life looks like. Now, I would be remiss if we didn't read this in the message paraphrase, all right? So here's the message paraphrase. Has it been up there already? Okay, let's put it back. I'm just going to read this to you. Message paraphrase, Romans 12, 1 and 2. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. All this happens by the grace of God. He empowers us and gives us the grace to do it. He says, I want you to take your everyday, ordinary life. You know what that says? That God is interested in every aspect of your life and my life. He doesn't only want us to bring the big problems to him. He wants us to take every aspect of our lives and alter it. Notice what it says. You're sleeping. You're eating. You're going to work. You're walking around life, and I want you to put it on the altar. That there is no part of your life that is exempt from my presence and my influence. Not just a Sunday kind of God. But that every single day, I can alter my life. And place it before God as an offering. That's altar language. 
because they would place the, the offering on the altar. And can I go on and say this? It wasn't their leftovers. It wasn't their junk. It was the very best of what they had to offer. It was the best of their flock. It was the best of their grain. And that was the only thing that God considered acceptable. The only thing. The only thing he considered acceptable was a sacrifice without blemish, without spot, and without wrinkle. Yet we have become so comfortable giving God our leftovers. In fact, God has become an afterthought even for Christians. The average Christian attends church less than twice a month. The statistics say 1.7 times a month. And we say this is acceptable to God. This is what I'm going to put on the altar and offer to God. My leftovers. He called that unacceptable. Before y'all get mad at the preacher. Hmm? I am only the messenger. If you have any issue with what I'm saying, take it up with God. He said what was acceptable and what was unacceptable, not Pastor Ray. In fact, he had to rebuke the nation of Israel, including the priests, in Malachi chapter 3. And he said, try giving what you're giving to God to your governor. Try giving that to your boss. Try giving that to the people that matter to you. And, and, and see if that will be, oh, yeah, we'll celebrate, yeah. I love your leftovers. Uh, notice, he says embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. And then he goes on to verse 2, and it makes it even more plain. He says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. For those of us who are devoted Christ followers, there should be something about when we engage culture that we should, it shouldn't be a perfect fit. It should be like putting a square peg in a round hole. It should be like putting a cross in a circle. It just doesn't fit. And for most of us, our lives have become so conformed to the world that people don't even see any Jesus in us. There was an old preacher, English preacher named Smith Wigglesworth who would step on the train in England and say not a word and people would begin to weep in repentance. In fact, it is recorded that one time he got on the bus and the man he sat next to wept so uncontrollably that he said, man, your presence convicts me. Didn't even say a word to him. That only happens when our lives are altered. I promise you, if we lived altered lives, we wouldn't have to use fog machines in exchange for the Shekinah glory of God. Because the church has become a place that is filled with counterfeits. We have exchanged the presence of God for lights and cameras. We have exchanged the anointing of God for bells and whistles, and the things that attract people to God or attract people to our churches today is not the presence of God. 
People are showing up for the show. And I will continue to come as long as the pastor and the worship team in their skinny jeans and scarves can entertain me. But the moment you stop entertaining me, I'm going to go on to the next big show. People don't want an altered life. It's very unpopular. So he says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. The thought doesn't even cross your mind. Hey, man, maybe there's something wrong about this. Instead, fix your attention on God. And the transformation, the change is going to happen from the inside out. It says, readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike, unlike the culture around you. If I measure my life against what everybody else is doing, is there a distinction and a difference in the way that I live? That's the question of what an altered life is. Okay, let me try, let me try another one. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Turn with me to chapter, Genesis chapter 22. Ah, <laughs> uh, boy. I wish I had time to get into that, but I'm not going to. I'm going to stay on message this morning. Do we have Genesis chapter 22? Beginning at verse 1. Uh, New King James. New King James. Are y'all with me so far, City Church? Okay, I'm going somewhere with this. Um, how many of you realize this morning that God only wants what's best for us? There is nothing about what God instructs us to do in his word that will ever hurt or harm us. I want you to hear what I'm saying through this filter. That God only wants what's best for us. Now let me tell you the, let me tell you the problem with that though. Sometimes what we need is not what we want. And what we want is often not what we truly need. We got children all over this auditorium. And if I let Levi have his druthers, he would eat candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'm exaggerating a little bit because Levi does love salads. It's the craziest thing, man. But for most kids, if we listened only to what they wanted, we would give them sugar all the time. And guess what? They'd be happy. And they would say, mama loves me because mommy makes me happy. She gives me what I want. And we think that's the way God is. God, give me more candy. Give me more of what I want. Even though my teeth are rotting out of my head, give me more candy because it tastes good. I don't want broccoli even though it's good for me. I don't want kale because it's nasty tasting going down. 
And so I know in a room like this, there are a lot of people who showed up for candy. What I'm giving you this morning about the altered life is broccoli. It don't taste good. What I'm giving you this morning is asparagus and kale. Good for you, though. Now, let me tell you the problem with that, David. There are some of us who go eat the broccoli. Hey, can I put some cheese on it, though? Most of us don't just want the word. We want to add other stuff to it to make it easier going down. God said, no, that's, I, don't, I don't play that. You're going to take it the way it is or you're going to leave it. No cheese for your broccoli on my altar. Okay, let me try one more. <clears throat> So there's this great story. There's this phenomenal story in Genesis chapter 22, Brian, Cassie. I love y'all. Just had to say that. I see him coming up the escalators, man. And now, you know, Cassie is with child, so she got that little baby bump. I think that's one of the most awesome things in the whole world, that, that first baby bump when it starts to, when you start to sit down and you put your hands on t- are you doing that right now? She's doing that right now. Oh, man. And also, you got the little baby bump right, right, right there. It's awesome. What was I talking about again? Genesis 22. Genesis 22. This all goes together. Lexi, this goes together. Because we're going to talk about babies and children and family right here. But this family has an unusual story. Because Abraham, who would become the patriarch of the nation of Israel, couldn't have children. In fact, he was a righteous man who did a whole lot of things right. Yet in this one area of his life, there was emptiness. There was disappointment. Even though God had promised him, you will be the father of many nations. I don't know if you've ever been there. (laughs) when you heard that God said he was going to do something, he gave you a promise. And the first year went by, nothing, second, third. Uh, By the time Isaac shows up, Abraham is 25 years in. Can I tell you something, City Church? If it ever feels like God has put you on hold, don't hang up. That's one of the things I love about my Liberian people. That's one of the things I love about Liberian people, right? If you're talking to a Liberian eh, and somebody else calls, they can have a whole conversation with you on hold. And if you hang up, they're going to call you back and say, why'd you hang up on me, man? I was like, man, I was on hold for five minutes. But that's just the way we roll. That when somebody puts you on hold... You don't hang up. I don't know about you, but I know that I've been in places with God where it seemed like God put me on hold for two or three years. And if I'm being transparent this morning, I did hang up. In fact, if I'm being honest with you, there are certain calls that God made that I've hung up on and never picked up the phone. uh, uh, Abraham was on hold 25 years. And then Isaac shows up. 
Now notice in verse, verse 1, the scripture says, now it came to pass after these things. I love that phrase, City Church. You know what that means? That means Abraham had history with God. Abraham had been in some places with God. And now he's coming into a new season. God is about to take him to another level. And notice how God is about to introduce Abraham to his next level. He's about to introduce Abraham. Even though he had history with God, he's about to introduce Abraham to his next level with a test. City Church, you can't get around it. You and I can't get around it. The entry point to our next level in life, the entry point to our next level with God is through a test. Not around it. Not around it. Not around it. And for all the educators in the room, even for all the students in the room, my wife was an educator for 12 years. The test is to determine the extent to which you have mastered the lesson you were just taught. If I don't learn this lesson, if I don't pass this test, I don't get to move on to the next lesson in the book. Are y'all with me? The test is about to experience is not about the new material that he hasn't learned. It's to test what he has learned over the 25 years that he's walked with God. And how many of you realize that a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that can't be trusted? I don't want to get in no car that didn't pass the QC inspection. And God says, I'm about to bring you into a place, Abraham, but before I bring you to this next level, I've got to test what you know. So the first lesson we learn on the altar is that the altar is a place of surrender. Notice Abraham's response. Genesis 22, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham! Notice Abraham's response. Here I am. The altered life begins with that simple response, those three words, here I am. If I'm going to live an altered life, my response to God yesterday, today, and always must be here I am. Because the altered life is a life of surrender. Uh, oh, number two, number two, number two. The altar is secondly a place of obedience. Not just surrender to say, God, I'm available to you for you to use me as you choose. But the second phase of the test is not just whether I will surrender who I am to him. The second phase of the test is that the altar is a place of obedience. Notice verse two. Notice verse 2. Then God said, take now your son, your only son. Can I pump the brakes right there? <laughs> Whom you love. Remember, the altar is not the place where I put my junk. God says, if you're going to come to me, surrender your own life to me. But bring the stuff you love. 
Now, let's pump the brakes there for a second. This is the son that he's waited 25 years for. This is the son that God is going to, to use to, to, to usher in the nation of Israel. Well, his grandson, Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, become the father of the nation of Israel. Can you imagine being Isaac? And God shows up to you and I said, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love. And this is what I want you to do with him. I want you to take him to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Uh, my first response would have been, get thee behind me, Satan. This cannot be the voice of God. Yet Abraham has been in such places with God that he knows distinctly and explicitly the voice of God. That the same voice that spoke to him and said, you're going to be the father of many nations, is now asking him to sacrifice his only son. Later on in the text, later on in the text, you will find that the word that Abraham uses for Isaac is lad. And I'll talk to you about that a little bit. So Levi, come here, buddy. Come here, buddy. Oh, sit down, sit down, sit down for a second. Sit down, sit down for a second. Can you imagine this scenario? Pastor Ray been in the prayer closet with, with God all morning. Um, and I come out my prayer closet, and it's just me and Wendy at home. And I said, hey, babe, um, uh, I was praying this morning. And this is what the Lord said. Um, the Lord said, I need to take Levi to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. What would your response be, baby? I don't know who you've been praying to. <laughs> but that word has must be confirmed by two or three or 20 witnesses. Right? Can you imagine the pushback? Can you imagine the pushback in this moment of obedience to God? On the altar, when you have surrendered your life to God, you obey illogical instructions. On the altar, when your life is surrendered to God, the instruction will not make sense in order for you to move. And so, Levi, come here for a second. We didn't have to wait 25 years for Levi, but we waited six. And the whole time, we're like, man, why is it taking so long? Can you imagine? God saying to me, take your son and offer him up as a burnt offering. Now, how many of you realize when God is giving us instructions, he doesn't say to us, this is only a test. We have the benefit of knowing it was a test. Abraham didn't. All Abraham knows is God is asking something of me. He's asking me to give up something that I love. 
that I waited for 25 years. And just so he didn't get it confused whether he was talking about Isaac or Ishmael, he said, your only son. I don't want Ishmael because remember Ishmael happened because Abraham was trying to help God. He said, I don't want that one. I want your only begotten son. The one that you and Sarah made. Not you and Hagar, the one that you and Sarah made. Not the one you made up for yourself. Not the one you're trying to get rid of. The one I ordained. God doesn't accept our leftovers. Uh, so, so we're going somewhere with this. Uh, so I don't know how, how Abraham left the house with Isaac. When I read the story, I'm still trying to figure out how they got out the house with this boy. All the moms in the house know what I'm talking about. How did he do it? One solution or one, 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 one suggestion. Maybe Sarah was living an altered life too. Oh, y'all missed that. Maybe Sarah understood what it looked like to be on the altar too. And I've been a pastor long enough to know that you can stir up a lot of confusion when one spouse on the altar and the other one ain't. Okay. Okay. I'm about to wrap up, I promise you. The altar is a place of surrender. It's also a place of obedience. Not obedience in the things that are easy, but obedience in the things that are hard. Notice that the scripture says in verse 3 that early in the morning, Abram, Abraham arose and headed to the land of Moriah. Huh? Delayed obedience is disobedience. Uh, he didn't wait around to contemplate and, 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 and to, to debate and vacillate in his mind. It says early in the morning, according to the instruction of the Lord, Abraham took his son. Let's read the story and I'm about to wrap up. So Abraham, verse 3, rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. In verse 4, then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. He could see the land of Moriah. Verse 5, and Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. Notice the word, the lad and I will go yonder and worship. But notice what he says next. And we will come back. I don't know if y'all if if read that the way I read it. God told him, take your only son and offer him as a burnt offering. But somewhere on the inside of Abraham, he says, even if I put my son on the altar, even if I offer him up to God, that's not the way the story ends. This same God that promised me that out of my loins will come a, a, a nation of thousands like the stars and the, the sand of the seashore, on the seashore. That same God, that same God is able to raise my son up. That's what happens on the altar. It changes your perspective and it builds faith in your heart. 
Abraham knew something about God. That God is not going to require something of me that he's not going to restore. So, 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 so Levi, you're Isaac. Abraham said, I will take the lad. I wondered about that. Because in the Hebrew, that word lad, that word lad could mean an infant, anywhere from an infant to a young adult of 20 years old. So I'm asking myself, where is Isaac on this continuum? Uh, Well, I know one thing. Hold on one second, Levi. I know one thing. Uh, uh, Isaac is old enough to carry this load of wood. Levi's heavy, buddy. I didn't expect it to be this heavy. I don't know how old he is. But Abraham says to the other two men, wait here. My son and I will go worship. It's too heavy, isn't it? Put it down. You can put it down. You're going to hold it? You're going to be tough for the ladies? (laughs) He's like, I'm going to put this down now, daddy. You're like, no, not for the ladies. Okay. He was old enough to carry his own wood. I'm going somewhere with this, okay? So so they go up the mountain. And uh, and, and, uh, 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 the altar is not only a place of surrender and obedience, it's also a place of submission. Because now they come to the place... Verses 9 and 10, they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac. Now, uh, uh, as they're going up the hill, this is what Isaac said to his dad. I skipped over that verse. Isaac says, Dad, we have the wood for the altar. Where to sacrifice? He was old enough to understand that something was missing. I don't know how old he was, but he was old enough to know that something is missing from this picture. Abraham's response was God will provide for himself a lamb. So imagine getting up to the mountain. This is my Pier 1 bench from my my guest bedroom. Imagine getting up to Mount Moriah and watching your daddy build the altar. Watching your daddy put the wood on the altar. Imagine your daddy starting the fire on the altar and then looking at you. No, I want you to understand what's happening in the text. I'm talking about the altered life. I'm talking about radical obedience to God. I'm talking about being on the altar long enough that you have the perspective that even if I obey God and offer my son as a burnt offering, the lad and I, the boy and I will return. So I now, with my own hands, Levi, get on this altar. I don't feel like wrestling with him. But what, the reason I said that is at some point, what is Isaac thinking? The scripture says that Abraham bound him. 
Now, there's only one or two options. That Isaac put up a fight and Abraham outlasted him. Or that Isaac, too, was living an altered life. Because I don't care how old you are. If you don't want to die, you can put up a fight. You can run away. The fact that Isaac even stood there to allow his dad to wrap him up. And place him on the altar. I'm talking not just about parents living an altered life. I'm talking about children in the home living an altered life as well. Not clapping back at your parents. Not running up to your room and slamming the door. Not talking back to them like they're your equal. Hmm? I'm talking about families living an altered life. Because it's not just Sarah letting Abraham take her baby, but it's also Isaac allowing his dad to bind him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Levi, Levi let me move this wood. I want you to allow this, this thing for a second. Just, yeah, put your feet this way. <laughs> Levi got his high top fade. He don't want to get anything there. Man, I wish I had more time to really tell you what's going on over here. Cedric, I want, to see, I want you to see Benjamin on this altar. Chandra, I want you to see BJ on this altar. D, huh? DJ on this altar. Damon, Camille, I want, to see, I want you to see your babies on this altar. Abraham isn't sadistic. Abraham doesn't despise his son. But on the altar... On the altar, the only thing that will matter to you is obedience to God. When I live an altered life, the only thing that matters is obedience to God because obedience is my part. But the outcome belongs to God. Most of us jump off the altar because we try to manipulate the outcomes of our life. When God says, you obey, I will take care of the outcome. Because the altar is a place of submission to God. Isaac now has to submit to his father. This just blows me away when I even sit there and begin to think about it. I wonder what my son would say to me if that's what I said to him. God says today you're the burnt offering. Levi, I'm about to light you up, bro. In obedience to God. God told me to do this. Levi's looking at me. He can't even compute. He can't even imagine it. But that's what happens when our lives are altered before God. So here's the thing. He's bound. He can't run away. He cannot get up off the altar. And the scripture says, Abram now, and I was looking for my little, my wife can't even look at this. Abram took, I was looking for the little, uh, Thing we have at the house, the, the shield, the, the, what's the thing called? Armor of God. I was looking for the armor of God because he's got a shield and the whole Ephesians 6 thing. I was looking for the little dagger. It's in the garage, okay. <laughs> and here comes Abraham in obedience to God. Raises up the dagger, y'all. 
Abraham was all in. He raises up the dagger, man, to go in. And he hears the voice of God. The same voice that he heard. Tell him to sacrifice his son. Say, Abraham, Abraham, don't touch the boy. Because now I know that you fear me. Now I know that you love me. Now I know. Let me close the message simply by saying this. Mm -hmm. That the altar is not only a place of submission, but it's also a place of divine revelation. Because on the altar you will see things of God that you never knew before. Genesis 22, 11 through 14, it says, Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Abraham saw something that was already there that he didn't even recognize. But it's on the altar that God opens our eyes to see that he has already made provision. That this whole thing with Isaac was just a test. That while Isaac and Abraham were coming up Mount Moriah, that God had already prepared a ram on the other side that was coming up that they couldn't see. And not only that, God caused that ram to be caught in the bushes right where Abraham could see that God had already provided for himself a sacrifice. It's only a test. No matter what you're going through and no matter what God has asked you to put on the altar, he already has prepared a sacrifice for himself. It's a place of revelation. And so in verse 14, the scripture says, Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. In fact, that that name in the Hebrew means the Lord has seen ahead and made provision. On the altar, what we find is a revelation of God's foresight that God sees ahead. And it's also a revelation of God's provision and his generosity. Finally, and this is where I close, the altar is a place of prophetic purpose and fulfillment. Notice Genesis 22, 15 through 18, verses 15 through 18. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abram a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you. Notice the promise now. After the test, after the test, after the test, because of Abraham's obedience, verse 17 says, because you've not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. The fulfillment of the promise came after the test. So what am I saying as I close? You can't outgive God. There's absolutely nothing that God has required of you that He doesn't have a greater reward for on the other side.
I'll ask the worship team to come because we're going to receive communion together and make this place right where you're sitting your altar. And as the musicians come, this is what I want to challenge all of the families of City Church to do, and we're going to incorporate it. The altar for the modern family is not stones as it was under the old covenant. The altar for the modern family is the dinner table. And how many of us have become so busy, preoccupied? In fact, I'll venture to, I'll even ask you this. You don't have to answer. When was the last time you had a meal around the table as a family? Because there was a time that the dinner table was the family's altar. And that's where the father led the family in prayer. That's where the, the father and the mother led the family in vision. That's where they prayed over their children. That's where they blessed them as they shared a meal together. And I'm going to challenge you, City Church, and my family's going to do this as well, that you begin to make your dinner table, whether you have children or not, if you're married, if you have a significant other, I want you to think about a time in your week where you will schedule a time when you, you come together and for some of you, it might be the dinner table. For some of you, it might be the den. But it's going to be a time where you sit together and you remember everything that God has done for you and everything that God has done through you and the promise of everything that he will continue to do because it's on the altar. It's on the altar where we experience the fulfillment of God's promise. Levi, we experience the fulfillment of God's promise. It's a place of surrender. It's a place of obedience. It's a place of faith. But it's also a place of submission, revelation, and fulfillment. So this morning, uh, my wife's going to come. And she's going to give you instructions once you have been served. And we're going to take communion together, not only as a church body, but more importantly, if you're with your family, if you're with your family, 